protests. It's not the kind of consumer rage, though, that we're seeing. This is political rage. It's a different kind of rage. Consumer rage is when you behave in a way that is unbecoming of you in yourself, the way you see yourself. Have you ever been that person, that person who is in in having a consumer experience, it's usually a retail experience, that has driven you to be so unreasonable that you start behaving like somebody who is not in your own body. You start behaving like somebody who loses their stuff in public in sheer exasperation because the company that you're dealing with simply refuses to acknowledge your perspective. When you've engaged someone in a contract and the terms are perfectly clear, they simply refuse to abide by them. Then when you start to point out their failings, they just ignore that on the basis of a dispute and they simply create their own narrative. And then you become that person. You become the unreasonable person. I have been that person. You've been that person. Nicola Klein, have you been that person? Nicola is um, the, the dean, marketing expert at the Gordon Institute of Business Science. Have you ever lost it? You can tell us. You can trust us. We, we won't judge you much. Are you, are you sure, Bruce? So I, I will I judge you a lot, actually, because I'm quite keen to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I think there are different manifestations of, of rage. And uh, I'm not trying to avoid the question, but it varies. I have certainly been guilty of certain manifestations of rage. How? Um, so can I go – I'm going to go back a step, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, when we look at this thing called rage. And I, I think we need to, first of all it, – it's timely, of course, because we're seeing what's playing out in exclusive books tonight. And I'm going to argue that if this is organized protest, it's not um, a, a demonstration of anger. So this is definitely not a, oh, no, a rage this is, issue this, that we're this dealing is, with. No, no, tonight's thing is uh, is orchestrated and it's manipulated and it's de- designed yeah. desperately for attention to try and, I don't know, get attention away from a book? What gets attention onto a book? Anyway, it's, it's, it seems self-defeating to my mind, but sorry, I interrupt. Well, if I was a publisher, I think I'd be smiling because Absolutely. sales are going to be going through through the roof. I think there's also, you know, we can argue, well, is it only for um, organizations that are uh, private sector organizations and I think what we are seeing increasingly is rage that also manifests in terms of government services. We can come True. back to that. Yeah. Because the question is when I go and stand in a, a queue, and we heard some interviews earlier today around motor vehicle, um, the, the uh, driver's licenses. When I, when I stand in a queue, do I stand there Oof. as a citizen or do I expect a, a modicum of attention that would be paid to me as a consumer? So, so that one's complicated. As a citizen, you are a consumer though. I mean, if I go to Home Affairs and it takes me nine hours to get from position 50 in the queue to actually filling in the form and paying my money and, and, and then sort of leaving the building and I, 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 I've been queuing since four o'clock and I get out at two in the afternoon. I'm a customer of Home Affairs. I am your customer, whether whether it's a civil service arrangement or whether it's a, a commercial transaction, surely. So it's a blurred line because some people would argue, well, if I'm exercising my uh, constitutional right to be able to get this, I'm starting to move into a public sector environment. I would argue that people don't sit there and go, you might make a couple of excuses, but you still have standard expectations about things like, can I access clear signage? Will the waiting time be reasonable? We might have more patience around the waiting time, and it depends on the psychological contract. I thought it was really interesting looking at a feedback that ESCOM has come back and said there won't be any class action suit um, because uh, – and there were, there were various reasons in terms of ESCOM's guaranteed um, – uh, what, it, what it guarantees and what it doesn't. But the message was very clear. You, you know, you, you're not customers. We are obliged to provide this in terms of certain government arrangements. So 
that's a, a category, and I think we should we should return to it. But I think just to talk a little bit about how does rage manifest, first of all, because obviously when we think about rage, we think about someone losing it. And and I reached out to you to say let's have a chat about this on the on the back of the incident that happened when a, a woman drove her car repeatedly into Standard Bank. Um, sheer frustration. That is that is obviously rage. Um, but they're different manifestations, and it actually starts with feelings. So I, I want to introduce two terms because I think they're interesting, and, and, and one of them is very clearly rage, and the other one is, is not. So the one term is the one that's perhaps less obvious, and this one is, is something that in the literature they call rancorous rage. So it's, it's rancor, and it's marked by um, aversion, contempt, resentment, scorn. Um, and if you think about it, I know microaggressions is a very popular term at the moment. You're using when, using MBA speak. You're using business school speak. I know. What's a microaggression? I know. It's these little gestures. So when you're in a restaurant and somebody, for example, I don't know, doesn't take the order the way that you'd like to see it or irritates you, we see these small expressions. I raise my eyebrows. Oh. I, ro- I, I, I oh. roll my eyes. A tut. I sigh. A tut. There's an argument that says that this is the beginning of an anger building. And consumer rage is basically, it's a form of anger that's manifested. So I, I thought that was interesting because if you say to me, have I been guilty of expressing rage? I think we've all done that. Hmm. We've all sat in a queue and gone, oh, for heaven's sakes. And it starts getting really interesting when you are in also um, uh, constrained environments. So our uh, physiologically, the way that we're going to respond Um, in an environment that threatens us slightly. Uh, What do I mean by that? For example, when I have to board a plane and I get onto a plane and I'm forced into an unnatural situation, always economy class, I'm a dean. When you're sitting in the back of that plane and you are, you know the story, you're fighting for elbow space and maybe that's a small victory, you're far more likely to express that there. You're far more likely to express it when something is a grudge purchase. And that's why it's not a surprise to me that we see um, these examples happening, for example, with banks, um, that, that ABSA example with the snakes that happened um, ages ago, um, where snakes were released in the, in, in the head office. Um, but it, it, it really does, it, it can start with this, uh, this disgust, contempt, these micro things. Then when it moves into a feeling, because before there's action, there's feeling, there's this full-blown rage. Um, and and the, in the literature, they call it this retaliatory rage. Um, and it's described by things like ferocity and malice and fury. And we know what that feels like. So when you're asking me, have I lost that? I don't think so. I don't even think I've done it to the dog. But it doesn't mean I haven't dog, felt the dog, it. The dog might bite you. And the great tragedy of that is so often that rage is so misdirected. It's perfectly well-placed and often even justified because you have been treated like a number um, or, you know, you've, you've, you've paid good money for a product, a good or a service, and you've been treated like, uh, like a mug. Um, and unfortunately, what generally happens is the poor person who gets it into, in the air is the customer facing person who simply is not equipped to deal with this. And to, uh, that, to my mind, is bullying, uh, because you're not taking your, 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 your fight to the right place. Absolutely. And there's often a, there's a logic, but when somebody's in a full blown rage attack, when somebody says there is nothing I can do, you know, it's like when the food is dreadful, you don't speak to the manager, you hurl abuse at the waitress when actually, you know, or the waiter, they they have nothing to do with it. So even though we may all feel these, this rising rage, and I think it's 
perfectly understandable, um, you know, particularly when there really are chronically low levels of service um, in many of our engagements as a consumer. This kind of thing doesn't happen when you're in luxury clothing stores generally. It happens when we're buying things we don't want to buy. It's insurance. It's banking. It's grudge products. So the constructive way to do to deal with it is obviously that we start, you know, I think there's an add-on at the moment where it says you're in traffic, breathe, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. <laughs> I don't know if everybody can do that. Mm-hmm, you hard. know, where it becomes an issue is where it escalates, obviously, into verbal um, and then physical. And I think what can also um, be interesting, and I haven't, I haven't seen research around this, is what what happens in highly diverse cultures, multiple languages. Because what I've sometimes observed happening is the build-up. Somebody may say something in one language. Perhaps the person who is on the service side, the employee, is in another language. It may start with a sarcastic comment, and it starts, it starts building. And, of course, where it gets really dangerous is where people and, and employees and other people who are in the environment um, start feeling physically threatened. Um, and where property starts getting damaged. And, and that's rare, but, but my sense is that we're, uh, we're an angry bunch. The, the world is an angry place, but the, there are rising levels of anger and aggression. And if we don't help our service employees to manage this, we face an issue. I, I find so much of what people at the customer f- face experience massively unfair from a corporate perspective. I, just, I feel people are hung out to dry so often um, whether you the poor keeping in the call centre who's given a list and told sell these people some insurance or um, if you are the person who is dealing in returns and this and a person has had the, you know, the curtains that are the wrong size the, given to them three times in a row and nobody seems to give a damn um, and, and you then having to, to deal with these customers so often the people who are having to deal with the customers are not the people who should be shouted at. They're not the people who should be uh, uh, properly admonished. Those people are hiding behind teams of marketing executives and hiding behind call centers and are hiding behind lots of barriers. And maybe that's part of the problem is we don't feel ever that we're properly heard by people who make decisions in companies anymore. Well, I think leaders can choose what kind of culture they want to bring. Uh, bring to the market and, and, and give to their employees and their agents because it's not always employees. So I, I think in organizations with with healthy cultures, we have to be able to stand up for our employees. And, and I, I remember one day years ago um, uh, engaging in a business meeting and somebody said, um, I fired one of our clients today. And I said, really? And why? You know, were you losing money? No, they were rude and they were abusive to our employees. And when I started thinking about the cost of what it means. So there's a moral argument that says, you know, that you, it's not customers above everything else. It's customers who are behaving in an appropriate way and sticking to, to societal norms. The moment the customer becomes abusive, the moment the customer becomes dif- difficult, I think there's a, there's a different set of rules that have to apply. Uh, but, but customers don't, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm being kind, I think, in terms of human nature, but people don't generally have face suffer rage unless there is an intoxicating substance and they're not normal or they they maybe had a big bump on the head as a child or they genuinely are frustrated that they've been treated badly i mean corporations have got to take some responsibility surely here nicola 
They do, but what they've also got to do is understand the emotional cycles that customers go through. So, I mean, let me give you an example. One of them is where we have customers, for example, who purchase things perhaps on credit or owe money and we go through regular cycles. In many organizations, what we'll see is that our guys sitting in finance, debtors, are actually horrendously treated. So people are selling stuff with a great smile to the customer. Everything's hunky-dory until it comes time to pay up. And the kind of abuse that can happen um, is is horrifying. I actually think, though, that, that call center agents are often better trained to deal with this. And, in fact, we've now got um, automated software that can actually pick up. A, it's not as threatening because you're on a phone. Um, although that can be pretty scary, but but B, you can have software that immediately picks up and clicks through to a supervisor that somebody is starting to raise their voice and that they can step in and support an employee. Uh, you know, so, so to me it becomes very important that a business goes, when are pressures high and how are we going to manage that? And and so you can have a customer who most of the time is perfectly reasonable. And, and when I look at service experiences that many people um, experience, uh, you know, I, I'm a lot less reasonable than a lot of people. My husband says I'm way too fierce. <laughs> um, and what sort of conditions do you get fierce? So, Bruce, let me tell you where I get fierce. We at Gibbs have always tried to do a lot of experiential learning. And um, when I joined Gibbs in the early 2000s, we'd go and we'd do um, a lot of engagements and particularly retail experientials that would compare what's the experience at a pick and pay, for example. In fact, it wasn't a pick and pay. Let me be fair to pick and pay. A retail store, the same brand, what you might have experiencing in Santon or Rosebank or one of our more affluent suburbs. And let's go through to Soweto or Deep Slurt. In fact, there weren't stores in Deep Slurt at that point. And the way that customers were treated, this notion of somebody standing there, for example, with a stick, searching in everybody's bag <laughs> before you could enter the store, yeah. that enraged me because it was fundamentally unfair. Well, it's racist. We I mean, the, the, was, it, it's racist. Very simple, it's, yes. It, you know, and so, so that kind of thing really, you know, gets me upset. What I found very interesting in, in looking at customer rage, and we haven't done that much in our South African context in terms of research, but there's some interesting research comparing Eastern and Western, and that's a huge generalization. But what this research found was that in a Western context, we are more likely to voice something quite early. Hey, that's not okay, or I'm not comfortable, or I'm not getting what I want. There's a phenomenon um, in Eastern cultures which is called um, hydraulic rage. And, and the idea is it's a hydraulic model of anger. In other words, what happens is that that person is very contained. They'll take something, they are not going to speak <laughs> up, and then they suddenly explode. And actually they have stronger behavioral outcomes. So what it also means is we need to train our employees to try and recognize what's happening. When we start seeing those small signs, and if you look at really good managers, for example, who are front of house in restaurants, they'll be picking it up really quickly. They pick up stuff before it happens almost. I mean, they, they see yeah. problems even before they happen. I mean, and, and so much of this is about com- companies realizing that they are not in a popular industry, that they are going to face challenging customers, customers who are fed up that they are now paying a thousand rand more for their insurance because last month there was a bumper bashing they claimed for and now they're upset mm-hmm. about it. And now there's another bumper bashing and it's going to lead to another increase. And it's just, uh, you people are all the same. And it's, there's no coming You've back from this, that. Bruce. Look at this. So tell us your story. I'm an actor. That's all. <laughs> I'm an actor. No, no, but you, you do. And, and it is, and it's so often 
uh, and the, the, everybody's triggers are different. But it's when you raise a point of contention in the retail relationship um, and the person with whom you are raising it doesn't realize that you are at this point quite calm and are open to a discussion. But if they dismiss your concern in any way, whether it be with a shrug and eye roll or anything like that, that can often send people over the edge quite quickly in my experience. So it depends also on, on what's been playing out um, in terms of what happens. You know, one of the one of the stories that I thought was, was so interesting is um, a guy called Cabello Tibedi. And this is an old story. It happened, I think, in about 2005, 2006. But he couldn't get an ID document. He tried nine applications, a three-year wait. And eventually he walked into, I think, the Home Affairs in Soweto with a toy gun. This was downtown Johannesburg. ID. I remember this news story. It was, oh, it was huge. Yes. So, uh, I mean, what what I found so interesting about that was he, he then got uh, slapped with a five-year suspended sentence for, for holding a Home Affairs official hostage with a toy gun to demand his ID. But he then set up a business um, helping other people get through the pain of trying to, to deal with, with Home Affairs. Now, not everybody is going to be able to, to actually deal with things in that way. But th- there's also a part to me that says w- we need to see this pain. You know, when I, I, what, what seems to happen to me is that we, we operate in certain environments and particularly in our public services offices and you, you, where, where we become totally immune and lack empathy to the other. <laughs> yeah. So I often, I often think when I'm standing in a queue and I go to home affairs and some home affairs are brilliant and others are dreadful when I'm standing in a dreadful one and there's little signage and I'm waiting and you know, I learned from Benjamin Zander to say how fascinating. But what is fascinating to me is I often think to myself, what must it be like to work in this place? What must it be like to wake up and know that you are going to be dealing with thousands of angry, disgruntled, unhappy people? So it robs all of our humanity. Uh, yeah, I also, I also lack empathy with that sort of, with that position because I go, if I work in an environment like that and my day is hell every single day, either I change jobs or I change my environment or I, act, I work internally to change my environment, surely. But that assumes you, you've got a locus of control. Yeah, true. When, right. when you, yeah, you're, no. you're, you're delighted to get a job and now you're, you're dealing with these, these, um, you know, angry, angry customers. So it becomes a self-perpetuating system. And the, to me, the, the issue for managers and leaders is, to, as you rightly pointed out, have you equipped your employees? But also, are you using the diagnostics? And it's one thing dealing with customer dissatisfaction and customer letters who complain. But when, when this stuff starts bubbling up, we have to notice it. We have to understand it. And we have to manage those spaces, our employees, and and also when it does happen, try, not when people are abusing your employees, but can we show empathy earlier in the process? Because often it's because we just haven't been heard. And there's just too many citizens, consumers who are disenfranchised and have not been heard. I hear you and I get you and I thank you, Nicola Klein. Thank you. Lots of work into that this evening. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your insights with us. The Dean at the Gordon Institute of Business Science, Professor Nicola Klein.